know that it's possible to survive the boss from hell without quitting your job or selling your soul? Hi, my name is Ken Williams and I'm a certified life coach and a master of connecting with people. I've had a lot of bad bosses because who hasn't? And I'm the host of the Bad Boss Podcast, a podcast where we explore ways to improve relationships at work so that you can survive the boss from hell. So join me as we delve into the ins and outs of working with people that you never wanted to be friends with. If you're hoping to reduce your work stress and increase your job satisfaction when it seems impossible, this is the podcast for you. Get ready to discover the power of untoxic positivity and learn how to survive the boss from hell. And we're back with the next two chapters of Surviving the Boss from Hell. Chapter six. This is the art of, yes, boss, navigating the perils of constant agreement. You know, I've, I've heard, as I've talked to some of my friends about um, some of the things that we observe in different bosses, there's the risk of the yes man or the yes woman. And so that's what this chapter addresses. People-pleasing. We'll talk a little bit about that. People-pleasing happens when we try to manipulate someone by being agreeable to every request made. This can become problematic in every relationship, and certainly in the boss-employee dynamic. At work, sometimes we call the people-pleaser a yes-man or a yes-woman. However, we have jobs with bosses who have the expectation that we'll perform according to tasks that the job requires. How, then, can we distinguish between being a yes-boss, people-pleaser, which I'll now just call a yes boss, and a fully functioning employee? The short answer, it depends. And that is pretty much because I'm dodging, making a full commitment to an answer in print. But give me a chance to explain myself. In most relationships, I think the most reliable way to distinguish between being a kind and helpful person and being a people pleaser is to consider consider the motivations and desires. Why? Are you agreeing to do something? Are you trying to manipulate the person? And this includes trying to make them happy or upset or trying to keep them from getting angry or frustrated or to get any other result in behavior. Sometimes, however, doing what the boss asks is just part of the job. So suppose my boss asks me to stay late so I can get a report done. I really don't want to, and the report isn't part of my normal duties. If I want the boss to lay off me for a few days and I accept the assignment, hoping that she will give me some grace. Maybe that's people-pleasing. However, if I want the, the boss to know that I'm reliable, competent, and worthy of getting promoted, maybe it's not. It gets confusing because from the outside, the end result of me staying late so the report gets done looks the same to my wife, to my peers, and to my employees. So, am I a yes boss or an ambitious go-getter? My critics will say I'm a yes boss. My supporters will say I'm ambitious. My question for you is, why does it matter? The answer to that question is nuanced as well. First, why should I care what my critics think? They obviously don't think that I'm as amazing as my wife thinks I am. So who cares? There's no vote and it's not a democracy. So the real answer, as far as I'm concerned, is for you, the kind reader of this ridiculously helpful book, to decide for yourself, not for me or for your boss or for anyone else. What's the answer for you? And do you believe and like the reasons you're telling yourself? 
And making this issue even more sticky is the boss is the boss is dealing with his or her her own yes bossness. I'm having a hard time with that one, so I'll say it again. Making this issue even more sticky is the boss is dealing with his or her own yes bossness. When the boss agrees to take on extra tasks, which then get passed on to you, did they do that because their own aspirations or are they trying to control something about their own boss? And just like for the rest of us, the answer can be confusing because I may not know the whole context of the assignment when my share is handed down to me. Maybe the boss volunteered to take on extra tasks because it will look good on their resume. Maybe they love leading the task force or they want to be involved in a certain emerging aspect of the company's growth. And when my workload changes because the boss needs my support to contribute to the way that he wants, there's no flashing sign that labels the boss as a yes boss or as an ambitious go-getter. I lead the safety team in my current job. Is that a yes boss move? Not really. I could push that onto someone else's plate, but I have a few good, I think anyways, reasons for keeping that assignment. And during a recent meeting, the question was raised about how members of the team should deal with safety infractions that they encounter. My answer to them was, I want you to get it right for yourselves. First, I want you to be 100% safe. I want you to take care of you before you start worrying about how everyone else is doing. That's how I feel. That's how I feel, and that's what I told them. I don't need someone telling me how much another person is breaking the rules if you can't follow them yourself. I feel the same way, not that you asked, but you are reading my book, so you're going to get my opinion. You're welcome. About the yes boss issue. Get clear about yourself for yourself. If you're solid on how you feel about what your motivation is, who cares what anyone else thinks? In fact, trying to take on or not take on assignments or requests, hoping that other people will think a specific way about you is exactly the wrong reason to do something. That's manipulative, and it's not successful because you can't control what anyone else thinks anyways. So stop trying. The boss asks you to do something extra. If it's really part of the job, then the answer is you should probably do it. Nothing wrong with pushing back and asking questions first, though. Have we talked about that yet? Make sure that you're clear on what's being asked of you. Why is it needed? Who's using it? What for? That may adjust your approach, the priority you give to it, and your commitment to it. But if it's clear that the request is negotiable, sometimes the boss is kind enough to tell you that you can say no. What is your reason for saying yes? If the reason isn't great, you have my permission to turn it down guilt-free. The bottom line is that being a yes boss only exists in other people's minds. And as long as you get centered on yourself, your job, your priorities, and your tasks, it doesn't matter what they think. Get the job done and go home. And doing things because you want to do them instead of trying to manipulate other people's opinions or experiences of you is far less exhausting, which gives you more energy to deal with the boss from hell. Chapter 7. I didn't uh, expand on that a whole lot. I don't know that I have much more to say. Maybe I've got a few things. Maybe maybe it'll come up later on. But let's move on to chapter seven, the fine art of strategic complaining, venting without getting labeled a whiner. Now, I will say, (laughs) I am not perfect at any of these tactics. I make mistakes. I am still learning. 
I do things wrong all the time. And I can point you to people who can tell you that from their own experience. I'm just telling you that sometimes when I get things right and I figure out what works, I write them down. And so here it is, <laughs> a few of the things that I've gotten right here in this book. So the fine art of strategic complaining. Not only is complaining cathartic, it's important in nudging the boss from hell to becoming a more manageable part of your workday. After all, how else can you share your concerns, thoughts, insights, and wisdom? A rule I ask my employees to follow is to complain upward. I want to hear their concerns. I can't fix a problem if I don't know it exists. I'd rather have them tell me what's on their minds than have them create a toxic work group by encouraging an environment where individual frustrations gain momentum and spiral into an uncontrollable mess. I also want my boss to allow me to complain upward. This gives me a chance to vent about whatever's on my mind. Sometimes, believe it or not, I get frustrated with people or processes <laughs> or other situations, and I need to let it out before I explode. Now, it's fair to say that complaining upward isn't always successful. I called a boss one time to tell her about problems I was having in the operation. She started brainstorming, brainstorming solutions. That is not what I was looking for or even needed at the time. Another time, the boss started defending himself, explaining why things were the way that they were. That, that, by the way, was a recipe for feeling unheard and unappreciated. Another time, my boss told me I was wrong. Not that my thoughts and ideas were wrong, but I was wrong for feeling the way that I was feeling, not the way to garner trust, loyalty, and respect. Communication with other people is always a little risky because we're lousy at it. I remember a college communications class that demonstrated how horrible we are at communicating by way of a drawing. I won't recreate it here, but imagine a drawing of a person on the left side of the page, that's the sender of the message, and a person on the right side of the page, that's the receiver. In the middle is the message. The drawing demonstrated that there is a problem between each person and the message is that person's total life experience. In the illustration, that summary of experiences was rep represented as a cloud. We have the summary of our life that, frankly, clouds our messages. Everything that we say and hear goes through a filter of our life experiences. That means the message can get convoluted. The good news is that it happens just all the time. For example, when I tell you to put the ice cream scoop away, you imagine you know what I mean because you keep your ice cream scoop in the drawer with the utensils. Or you may assume that because my ice cream scoop has been stored in the same drawer for hundreds of years, you know where it belongs. But what I didn't think to mention is that because I'm thinking that it makes more sense that the ice cream scoop should be stored with the spoons, which you used to eat ice cream, instead of the random utensils. So maybe I've changed where the ice cream scoop goes. Ensuring that an accurate message is both sent and received takes time, humility, and patience. Imagine the boss telling you that you need to send a recap of why something went wrong with your team's performance. The boss knows exactly what information is required, and she probably assumes that you do too. After all, how hard is it to write a recap? Really hard, it turns out, if you don't know what the recap is supposed to cover, who the intended audience is, my recap, for example, to my own boss will look very different than a recap that goes to the vice president. Problems with communications aside, it's still a necessary part of interacting with other people. And when things at work get frustrating, you may need to talk about it with the boss. 
It's often safe to assume that having a complaint session with the boss will leave you feeling better, but it's important to take control of that meeting. Set expectations. Don't just dump on the boss. Understand that you are hoping to gain what you are hoping to gain by meeting. You can increase your success exponentially if you preface your conversation with a summary of your, summary of your, ex, summary of your expectations. I'll give you some examples of what you can try. Prepare the boss before starting the conversation. Open with a warning, something like, I'm complaining upward. You might even ask permission to speak freely. Do you need the conversation to be off the record? If so, ask. Number two, set the expectation at the front end of the conversation that you're sharing information instead of looking for solutions. You can take some of the pressure off the boss, or at least shift it, by making it clear you aren't asking for them to fix anything right now. Of course, another popular option is to come to the meeting with solutions to any problem that you discuss. Number four, be aware of your tone. You are a competent professional with concerns. Present yourself as a rational human sharing facts. Leave the drama at the door. Superfluous adjectives, especially if they bring up emotion, may not contribute to your cause. Stick to the objective details. Number five, tell the boss that you need some time. It may make sense to schedule a meeting when the two of you can devote your full attention to the situation. Of course, this list is not comprehensive, but hopefully it helps you get started. And if you sense that the tone of meeting is not contributing to what you hope to accomplish, call it out. Remind the boss that you aren't looking for solutions or that you need to get something off your chest and that you just need her to be aware of where you're coming from. Or that as the boss, he probably should be aware of some things. Or that there's a work decision that needs to that she needs to make so that you can get on with your life. And maybe you need one of those meetings so that you can share some feedback about the conflict you're feeling with the boss. I remember the uncomfortable moment during an interview when I was asked to describe how I dealt with a personal conflict at work and the person I had the conflict with was doing the interview. Incidentally, I didn't get the job. Be kind, but objective. Share your concerns. Interpersonal relationships are tough enough. Make things as simple as you can for both of you by identifying and setting expectations for the meeting. As you strengthen your communication skills, working with the boss from hell gets just a little bit easier. So there you go. Chapter six, chapter seven. So um, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to wrap it up there. I think I'm having some fun reading this book, the book, rereading some things and, and adding some comments. Um, it's helpful. It's helpful for me as I uh, am living life and things happen. And sometimes um, it's helpful for me to remember the, uh, the tactics that, that make sense. And like I said earlier, I'm not perfect at this. This is something that is a, um, <laughs> like I say on every episode, relationships are a work in progress. We're not perfect at them. And the best we can do is the best that we can, can do and try again. In the meantime, um, just to let you know, if you, have, if you have questions, if there's something specific you want to talk about, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at ken at kenwilliamscoaching.com. I've got a link in the show notes with the email address as well as a link to my schedule if you want to get on my schedule and see if uh, chatting is something that would be helpful and um, if I can help you enjoy your, your job a little bit better. If so, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are and um, maybe we can... Uh, get together. Maybe we can get to know each other a little bit better. Love to love to hear from you and your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bad Boss Podcast. 
We hope you found it helpful and inspiring. Remember that relationships are a work in progress and making mistakes is normal. And if you want to have a better experience with your own bad boss, I'd love to chat. Reach out to me at Ken at KenWilliamsCoaching.com or check out the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with others who might benefit. And until next time, don't forget to spread untoxic positivity everywhere.